copy of the Bible up to Daniel chapter 10. That's where we are going to be this morning. Uh, we are entering in, if you like sports, uh, we are entering into the fourth quarter of the book of Daniel. There's 12 chapters. We've been tackling them one at a time. Uh, we took a break last week from it, uh, but we're back in now with Daniel chapter 10. And so I'll give you a moment to find that. It might not be a real frequented part of your Bible until the last couple weeks. Um, but this week has been an interesting one, hasn't it? With the election and all the things that have unfolded, I'm going to note as a segue into our text today was a prayer meeting that happened on Wednesday night. Uh, there, it, it was not our prayer meeting. There was a prayer meeting led by a lady named Paula White, who some of you know who she is. Uh, she is a lady that is called by some people one of President Trump's spiritual advisors, that's the term that they use, one of his spiritual advisors, and she held a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, so a day after the election, and some of the clips from it kind of went viral, at least to some degree, uh, and um, it, I will say this, I want to note briefly, although time would not allow, I do not, I would not encourage you to follow Paula White, to listen to her, I think the things that she teaches are not healthy or, or things that we should be listening to. Uh, but the prayer meeting got attention uh, because of some of the nature of it, and uh, I think it felt strange to some people, even to some Christians. Uh, but the reason, among others, that I think it felt strange to people was because of how she and the people who were leading it were framing the prayer time. Uh, they were framing it. I watched a lot of it afterwards just to kind of see what had happened and why people were making a big deal of it. But they were framing it this way. They were saying that to somebody within their church or to maybe others within their church that God had somehow communicated to them that he had decided who should win this election. And if you could imagine who she thinks that that is and who God would want to win this election. But what she was also, the way she was also framing it was she was saying that there were these demonic kind of evil forces at play in the angelic realm who were trying to prevent that, who were trying to, to hold things down, to, to direct things in certain ways. And a lot of the prayer meeting was uh, her and the others who helped lead it trying to pray for even good angels to come. There's been some of the clips that went around where her asking angels to be sent from other continents and things like that to come and to combat the forces of evil to try to help bring about what she thinks is the will of God. She was framing it that way as there was, she was wanting and praying even for uh, good angels to come to be involved in, uh, in bringing about what she believed to be the outcome of God that should be for this election. It was met, and what I've seen happen, this is where I was, uh, on the internet and others, is it's been met, the watching of those clips in that prayer meeting with a lot of, especially from unbelievers, a lot of eye rolls, a lot of mocking, a lot of thoughts that are even communicated of this is all a joke, like this spiritual realm that you all think exists with angels and demons, that's all a joke. And this idea of praying, uh, I think a lot of people in watching things like what they unfolded, they walk away, whether it's, it's a worthy take or not, uh, they walk away thinking that even prayer is a joke. That, that it's this self-interested, hey, I want to bring about what I think should be, and so I'm going to pray and use prayer as kind of a tool to just get the things that I want to be. And the reason I mentioned that prayer meeting is I think it segues into our text today, Daniel chapter 10, because we're going to see in today's text some truths about the angelic realm, some things that may, you may not even know are in the Bible, uh, some things about the angelic realm that they are very real, uh, but we're also going to see things about prayer. 
uh, and the, the effectiveness of it, the power of it. And although at the end of this sermon, at the end of this text, I don't think we're going to emerge on the other side of it leading a prayer meeting like Paula White would lead a prayer meeting. My hope will be and my confidence is that we will walk away knowing these two things, that our spiritual enemies are strong and that our prayers are effective, those two things, that our spiritual enemies are strong and that our prayers are effective. And so I want to read the first about five verses of this text uh, for us to kind of help us get back in the frame of reference of what's going on here. And then in a few minutes, I'll read the rest of it and we'll kind of walk through it uh, point by point. But follow along with me the first five verses of Daniel chapter 10. We'll get our bearings of what's going on in this text. So Daniel recorded this for us. He wrote, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is, the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and, behold, or, and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. So we'll pause there for now. I just wanted to make sure we get our bearings of what's going on here. At this point in Daniel's life, if you've been here the last few months, you may have tracked along with us that the, the book, it, didn't, it doesn't proceed chronologically directly, but in general there's kind of this flow. And now in this, in these last couple chapters, 10, 11, and 12, they're all going to go together as one event that took place. Daniel is an old man older than any point in time we've seen him yet in this book, any of the events that he's recorded already. Uh, he's an old man, and he is one of the people, one of God's people, who when he was a teenager even, had gotten exiled out of the land of Israel and sent to the land of Babylon. And by the point this happens, Daniel 10, 11, 12, he's been there a few generations even. He's seen some kings rise and fall. He's even seen kingdoms rise and fall. So he's an older man at this point in time. And these final chapters, 10, 11, 12, they all go together. They're kind of like this final scene of his life that we have recorded, at least, of God sending a messenger to him, we're going to read about. And he gives him what is called a word or a revelation, it's called, and a bit of vision. Uh, he, he's communicating something to him. We'll especially see in 11 and 12. He's communicating to him about some things that are going to happen in the future, some very specific things about kingdoms that are going to rise and fall and how they're going to be arranged. But, but God is giving him this last hurrah, in a sense, this last vision and communication for him. At this point in time, I, I think it's helpful to note just where Daniel is. Uh, at this point in time, when Cyrus was king of Persia, that's the third year now of his reign, verse 1 says, some of the exiles had already returned to Jerusalem. Like Cyrus, when he came to power, that was one of the first things he did, was he sent some of the, the exiles back to Jerusalem, back to the promised land. But Daniel wasn't one of them. Uh, he, we don't know why he stayed in Babylon. We don't know if he was asked. They were experiencing extreme opposition against them. And Daniel had probably found out about this. He had probably heard about it somehow through the grapevine. He was a connected man. And it seems like he was grieved. And that's why he says that he was mourning, I'm guessing. This is why he was mourning, verse 2, 
for three weeks. He, he, we're going to see it in later how he was praying, the manner he was praying, but he was foregoing certain foods and drink, seeking God's guidance, seeking understanding of why are you doing this? What are you up to? What are you going to be doing even moving forward? And so that's kind of the setting that, that this angel we're going to see, that we start to see in verse 5, comes to him in, and he's going to communicate to him some things that have just happened recently, and then in chapters 11 and 12, he's going to give him this elaborate vision of the future. So I just want to read this chapter, though. I'm going to, I'll read verse 5 again to get us some momentum. And then I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, and we're going to see some things uh, here that, that you may not even have heard before. A lot of us read the first half of Daniel, and then we don't ever get to parts like this. But follow along with me. Know that this is the Word of God. These things did happen, and the things this angel is even saying really were and are true. So follow along with me, verses 5 down through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O oh, Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O oh man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to the fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side ex against these except Michael, your prince. And I'm going to read verse 1 as well. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. We'll stop there. A lot going on there, huh? 
this, this seems like a foreign world to us uh, as 21st century uh, Americans. This seems foreign to us, but it happened. It is true. And in it, in what happened, we learn two things. We learn about the spiritual enemies that are allied against the people of God, and we learn about prayer. And so my, my uh, aim this morning, like I said earlier, is to convince you of this and show you this in the Word, that our spiritual enemies are strong and that our prayers are effective. And so I want to start by talking about that strong, those strong enemies, because this angel that comes to visit, gives some, before it jumps to give this vision to him, it describes some things to him that have been happening and that are about to happen even in the spiritual realm, even in the realm of angels and demons. So if you were following along, what you saw happen was there's this visitor that comes, right? There's this visitor that comes, and in verse 7, we, we know that Daniel is the only one who sees him. Uh, he has some other buddies or at least co-workers or something that are there with him that none of them saw this. Uh, yet they knew something was going on because they knew enough to scatter and to go hide, right? So they, they know something is being seen by Daniel, that there's something here, even though that they can't see it, but Daniel does. And in verse 5, Daniel starts to give this description of what this being was like. Uh, this, this idea of uh, it being majestic and, and pure. Of how, there's this idea of like it possessing glory and it, its face being like lightning and its eyes like torches and its arms like, and legs like strong metal. Uh, the, it, it has this uh, possession of strength and authority that seemed to come with it when it comes to see him. And when Daniel sees it, if you look at verse 8, when he sees this, he says that there was no strength left in him. Just by the sight of it, that strength goes away from him. But then verse 9, when you, uh, when you read verse 9, you see that when he heard it speak, this, this voice, he said that sounds like a multitude. When he heard it speak, it's almost like he passes out. He says that he fell on his face in deep sleep with his face to the ground once he heard it speak. I've never met anyone like that in my life. I don't know about you. But this angel tells him to get up. In verse 10 and following, he calls him a man greatly loved. He comes to him and as he's trembling and touches him and sets him up at least on his hands and knees. And he tells him in verse 14 that he's been sent to give Daniel understanding that he's been sent by God, supposedly, to, to give him understanding about what's to happen, this understanding that Daniel has been seeking. But before that, I mean, he's going to give that vision more fully in what we call chapters 10 and 11, or excuse me, 11 and 12. Um, but before that, uh, he, in a sense, is telling Daniel why he's late in coming, like wh why he didn't show up when Daniel may have expected him to come. And of God. And so he gives Daniel this description, at least in part, of what this angel or angels that are, that are opposed to the people of God. It's kind of like, in using military terms, it's kind of like spiritual intelligence, spiritual like uh, reconnaissance, this information that he knew that Daniel wouldn't, but he wants to communicate to him about what's going on and the enemy and, and how they're at work and how they're at play. And we see in verse 13... That there seems to be at least one primary head of that enemy uh, that he calls the prince of the kingdom of Persia in verse 13. That would not have been an actual human prince. This wasn't King Cyrus of Persia's son. Uh, later we're going to see Michael was called, the, a good angel was called a prince 
right? And so this is an angelic being that he's talking about in verse 13. That's saying that he had withstood this angel who's now standing before Daniel. So he's telling him that there's this primary angelic being. And, and note verse 13 that he had withstood this angel. Even for three weeks, for 21 days, he had withstood this angel who is standing before David and what the, or before Daniel. And what that implies that there had been this withstanding of this evil king of Persia against this angel that's standing now before Daniel, what that implies, that withstanding language, implies that there's conflict between them, right? We're not told exactly what was going on. We're not told the nature of what they were trying to do to, to counteract each other or overpower each other or what they were doing, but we know there was conflict between them. And I want you to sit on that phrase for a moment, that it had withstood him for 21 days. And think about the, that angel that is standing or floating or whatever it was doing in front of Daniel. And the effect that it had on Daniel, the glory and majesty and power and authority of this angel. And then think that this evil angel had withstood him. And let that sink into you for a moment. Because this withstanding of this angel doesn't just imply that there's conflict, but that there's strength in that enemy. That that prince of Persia, whichever angel it is, is incredibly, unspeakably strong and crafty in ways that human beings might not even be able to fully comprehend. And while Daniel is trembling before this angel, he's told there's an enemy of this angel who has been withstanding him. And then we get clues from this text that it's not just one angel, but there's multiple, right? If you look at the end of verse 13, for example, if you turn your eyes there, this angel tells Daniel that before he came to him that he was left there with the kings of Persia, plural. There was one human king, but in the spiritual realm there's these kings of Persia. That there's these multiplicity of evil beings that are, are allied against the people of God and against these good angels. And they had been so forceful and had such uh, power in some way that this angel had had to stay there and combat them for three weeks until it's almost like God sent reinforcements to him. He says that he sent the angel Michael to come to him to kind of free him up so that he could come and visit Daniel. This seems crazy to us. This seems wild to us, but this angel is telling this to Daniel. It's recorded in Scripture that this, it was going on. This really did happen in the unseen spiritual realm. And so Daniel is hearing this. He's getting kind of this spiritual intelligence into the unseen world. And when Daniel starts to hear that, he has another strong reaction. He had fell on his face just by seeing this thing. And then when he hears that, he starts to have this other strong reaction when he's heard about this enemy in verse 15 and following. It says that he turns his face to the ground and is mute. And then the angel talks to him again. And then in verse 17, he, he speaks now and says again that no strength is left in me. No breath is left in me. So it seems like this news that he would have been unaware of these spiritual enemies that are arrayed against the people of God, it, it's taking his breath away. It's having an even stronger effect to him. And it's implied in verse 20 that even there's going to be more that arise, that there's going to be this, this prince of Greece that's going to come, this, another evil spirit. And so it's not just that, hey, this has been dealt with, it's done, we won the battle, but that there's going to be this ongoing spiritual uh, combat. 
And so Daniel has this stuff start to sink into him, and we should as well, that there is a real and strong spiritual enemy. And that is important for us as people who live in modern 21st century America to remember that there are real spiritual beings in the unseen realm. This wasn't just something that happened in the ancient world and just now they disappeared or they've gone away. Say ignoring an enemy's presence doesn't make them less dangerous. It makes them more dangerous. If we just try to stick our head in the sand and pretend that they're not real, it it is a danger to us and it's foolish of us. So we need to know that they are real. God wanted Daniel to know they're real. He wants us, by extension, to read this, to know that they are real. And he wants us to know, I would even say, that he wants us to know that their actions actually impact our world. That they're unseen to us, but their actions do impact our world. They may be invisible, but they're not inactive. They're not ineffective. They are an enemy that you read through the rest of Scripture that seeks to distract the people of God from the things of God, that they seek to intimidate the people of God with our sin, with our guilt that we sang about earlier. We read in other texts of Scripture that even seek to devour the people of God, to destroy us, to tear us away from each other and even from our faith in the Lord. And while it is absolutely true that Christ gave them a death blow at the cross, he did not end their existence he did not end their work. They, they have been dealt to death, but they are seeking to take down everyone and everything that they can and to do anything that the sovereign God will allow them to do. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6, he, he says this, this famous text many of us are familiar with. He says, put on the whole armor of God, talking to Christians, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is as true today as it was in first century when Paul wrote that. We are called to put on the armor of God and be aware that we have a spiritual, I would say, of their presence, but he does not, and hear me on this, he does not want us to obsess about them or to be afraid of them. He wants us to know they're real. He wants us to know they're strong. He wants us to know they're anti-us. But he does not want us to be obsessed and he does not want us to be afraid of them. Daniel did not even realize that the spiritual, the spiritual combat was going on. He wasn't actively seeking to, to pray down spiritual strongholds and call angels forth and move them around like it's a board game or anything like that. He, he was not obsessed about the spiritual realm, but he knew after this, at least, that it existed. And it would inform his prayers. And we ought to follow suit. We ought to not be people who are seeking to, to call and direct certain angels and demons in certain ways. And we need to be aware that they're at work. But when we pray, when we engage with God, we should be praying for the things we know are true, the things we know are at the heart of God, the things we know He has said He desires and works to, seeks to work out in this world. Those are the things we should be praying for. And we are not to fear them. That, did you notice a couple times this angel tells Daniel, fear not? I, in verse 12, I think the first time he says it, fear not him, I think he was trying to say, don't be afraid of me. Like, hey, I, I, it's okay. Like, we're good here, I promise. Like, don't be afraid of me. 
But the second time he says, fear not, in verse 19, I think he was saying, fear not them. Because he had started to tell Daniel that these enemies exist, that they're at work, that they're strong, and that it made Daniel even more afraid, but in a different way. And he's saying, don't fear them. Don't be afraid of them. And we as Christians know with greater reason than Daniel why we don't need to fear evil beings, why we don't need to fear even Satan himself. The reason is not because we are strong, not because we are good, not because we are crafty, but because we have a Savior who has defeated them and who rules over them and who loves us on top of that and is for us. So when we are aware of them, whether we just know that they're unseen or if God ever makes clear to us things that they are doing in our world, we do not and must not be afraid of them. We have good news to believe. The accusations of Satan or of evil spirits can be silenced because we can look to the cross and say, my sin is real, but it's been dealt with. And when we see them flex their muscles or try to, to show their power, we can say, Christ has shown he is more, infinitely more powerful than you by conquering death. Like your ultimate weapon over us, he has shown that is nothing. And he will wield that for me. Like he, he will raise me up from this thing that you threaten me with. So we are not to be obsessed and we are certainly not to be afraid of the forces of evil. They are real, they are strong, but we have a Savior who is stronger than them and who rules over them. I want to talk now about prayer because we see in this text some things about praying. It's not just kind of a, a teaching or an instruction about the forces of evil and the unseen spiritual realm, but we see things about prayer as well. And in transitioning that, I wanted to note, and I'd encourage you to note sometime, read Ephesians 6, that text I, I gave you a couple verses from about the armor of God. We love teaching kids that and talking about the like different parts of armor, like the helmet and the breastplate and the shield and the shoes and all those things. But at the end of that text, I want you to note something of what Paul writes at the end of that text. He says that we're to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the Word of God. And then he says, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So even as we're to put on this armor and try to, to even get the Word of God in our hands and our hearts to use against the enemy, he says we ought to be praying as we do it. That that is our, our greatest tool to combat the forces of evil is to pray. It's to pray uh, in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So I want to take a few minutes to show you how Daniel had been praying and, and its relevance for us. You can pick up in this text the nature of how Daniel had been praying leading up to this encounter with this angel. If you look back at, way back at verse 2, you see that he had been mourning, he says, for three weeks. 21 days it's called later. Three weeks he's been uh, mourning. He's been persistent. That might be a word we use. Persistent in praying. Persevering in praying. And he's been focused in his prayer, hasn't he? He's not just praying, just saying uh, anything and everything to God. He had set, verse 12, this angel talks to him and says that he had set his heart, Daniel had set his heart on something. He had set his heart to understand his prayers had been selfless. You see in verse 3 that he had been fasting during these couple weeks. From certain food, from certain drink, he'd been uh, selflessly denying himself these things. Verse 12 even says that he had humbled himself before God in this time of prayer. I would note for us, our prayerfulness or prayerlessness 
I think has a direct correlation with our level of humility before God. If we think we got everything under control, we think we're strong, we think we're wise, we slip into prayerlessness. But when we humble ourselves and remember how small and weak and how much we lack wisdom, that is when our prayerfulness should increase. So we see a little bit of how Daniel is praying. I want to say as an encouragement to some of the older saints in our church, and I won't set a a line on that. You can self-identify if you're an older saint or not. I want to encourage you to look at Daniel here and see an example of how God can use you and the people of God. This is an old man at this point in time who had a long life lived before, and he is faithfully, diligently praying for them. He probably did not have much physical strength left. Maybe that's why he didn't go back to Jerusalem. We don't know. But this older man is using the time that he has to intercede for the people of God, to be dedicated to prayer. And all of us should aspire towards that. As, As we get older and our strength may wane, we can become stronger in prayer. Like we can be effective in our prayers even in our old age when we may feel worthless or devalued to the world or to people around us when we can't do what we used to do, then increase what you can do and, and pray for the people of God. Pray for the advance of the kingdom. So we see the nature of Daniel's prayer in this text. We also see, more importantly, who the hearer of Daniel's prayers is, Right? because we pray to the same God. We, we know in, from this text and from the whole book of Daniel that Daniel is praying to the, the king of kings, to the God who oversees and is in charge of everyone and everything. When we pray, when Daniel, this angel, as great as it was, was sent by someone, he said. He was commanded by someone, and we know who that someone is, by God himself. We pray over the heads of those good angels. We pray over the heads when we pray over the evil angels, the forces of evil. We pray to someone who is above them, who is stronger than them, who created them, and who they are accountable to. Using military language, it'd be like, why would you, if you have the ear of some lieutenant or some lower-ranking officer, why would you go to them when you have the ear of the general? And you can go to him and ask for things. You can go to him and intercede for things. You would go to him. Christ has been given in his resurrection. He has been given authority over all. Visible and invisible. The, the beings that we see in this world and the, the ones that live in the unseen realm. As God's people, I would say that we need to have a wartime mentality when it comes to praying. I've heard John Piper talk about this in a few different settings, but I found one that I wanted to to quote for you. He he said this. He said, Prayer is like a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom for ringing up the butler to change the thermostat. It is a wartime walkie-talkie to call down firepower because, listen to this, because the enemy is greater than we are. Like a lot of times when we pray, when I pray, we're asking for such small things. I appreciated Pastor Larry a few Sundays ago calling us to pray big prayers to God, like Daniel. And we need to be praying big prayers uh, to the God of this universe, to the Savior of this world, to our Savior. We need to be praying for more than just, God, keep us healthy. God, uh, please bless uh, my business. God, please help my kids uh, do well at school. We need to be praying that Jesus would be known by people. 
Like Abel passing away last night just made me want to pray. Let us feel the weightiness of our existence and the eternality of our souls and of everybody else that we come in contact with. Let's stop just playing around with prayer and asking God for these small things. But pray that Jesus will be known, that he will be seen as the Savior that he is. How to pray with the wartime mentality. That's how Daniel was praying, it seems, and that's how we ought to pray. And then we see not just the nature of Daniel's prayers, not just the hearer of Daniel's prayers, but the answer to Daniel's prayers. Did you see in verse 12, I think it's near the end of verse 12, this angel is coming to Daniel to give him this vision that he's going to give in chapters 11 and 12. And he says this, he says, I have come because of your words. Sit on that for a second. I have come because of your words. Sometimes we just think that our words and prayers kind of either hit the ceiling or go to heaven and God either doesn't hear it or he doesn't do anything with it. Like, why am I doing this? But at least in this text, in this situation, this angel says, I came because you asked and God told me to come. I came because of your words. I want this to be an encouragement to us. I would say this this way. Uh, Well, hear this first. Daniel had been praying this for three weeks, asking for understanding, which may seem like a short amount of time to us. It may seem long. I don't know. He had been praying for three weeks. In verse 12, this angel says, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand, and it continues, like, God was ready, God was sending me. God was ready for me to come and give this vision to you, give understanding to you from the first day. You prayed, but then day one passes, and day two passes, and day three passes, and day 20 passes, and day 21 passes, and finally the thing that God had set in motion on day one of prayer, he receives a clear answer from his perspective too on day 21. And I, I would say this way, that lag time doesn't mean that you aren't heard by God. Lag time on God answering doesn't mean that you were not heard. And it does not mean that God is not acting. Because this angel gives a little glimpse. Daniel would have not known this throughout, but he gives a glimpse into why he was held back, why he wasn't able to come when Daniel may have expected him to come. But something Daniel had set in motion, and God had set in motion through Daniel's prayers weeks before now comes to fruition. And we need to be people who are persistent in praying. I find myself sometimes, if I'm honest, being, being so impatient with prayers. And I'll pray things a time, a few times, and then I'll kind of give up or just assume, well, maybe God didn't want that to be. But we need to be persistent in our prayers. Follow an example of Daniel. Follow the example of others you see throughout Scripture, throughout history. There are examples sitting in this room right now of people I know who prayed for things for years. And God finally answered. God finally intervened. God finally worked in the ways that you had interceded and that you had asked. And we need to have confidence that God is working in ways that we cannot see. There is an unseen realm. There are unknown reasons to us that God does and doesn't do certain things and when he does them or why he doesn't. We need to be persistent in prayer. 
And there's a, a commentator on this text named Ian DeGuid who, who wrote this. I want to share this with you. He said, when we pray, we who are merely weak, trembling human beings engage in cosmic conflict in a way that has vast, though often unseen, repercussions. What a privilege it is for us to get to pray and to get to pray who, to the God who is over the heads of these forceful beings who are, are overseeing in some ways nations and kingdoms and at combat in this realm that is totally unseen for us and would maybe scare us or intimidate us or overwhelm us if we saw it. We pray to the God who oversees all of them, who made them, and He hears us, like He cares to listen to us. And he longs to answer us and to do the things as if we're praying his will be done, to do the things that we ask, to, do, to, to provide the things that we long for. What an honor and privilege it is for us to pray, and we sometimes just dismiss it. It's just a throwaway part of a worship service, just a throwaway part of my day, if that. What a privilege it is to pray. We have effective prayers, even though we have strong enemies. In just a minute, we're going to close by singing the song Victorious. Uh, it is in that I love Martin Luther, uh, among others. It's for the way that he demonstrated, if you ever read his writings or sermons, books, things like that, the way that he demonstrated that we do not need to fear Satan or Satan's footmen. We do not, we must not be afraid of them because of the work of Jesus. He knew and this is true, as true for you as it is for me, as it was for him. He knew that if we are united with Christ, that we who used to be powerless against Satan, who used to be under his rule, under his thumb, unable to free ourselves, and that he could point to our sin and legitimately shame us over them, he could point to death and legitimately strike fear in our hearts. Martin Luther knew because of the work of Jesus on the cross and him suffering for us and being raised for us and now inviting us to come to him and interceding for us, he knew that that era was done. That Satan's rule, his authority, his power over us is done. And he knew that we could revel in that. And so I, I wanted to read one of the lyrics we're going to sing here in just a moment, and I'm going to pray and invite the worship team. But I want you to think about what we sing when we sing. And I, I'm going to put the lyrics up here from a, one of the uh, verses of A Mighty Fortress. And I hope that when we sing this here in a moment, we can sing it with, with greater confidence because of what we see in the Word. He wrote this. He said, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. And hear this, the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And we're going to sing that song together uh, before I dismiss us uh, to go on with the rest of our Lord's day. Let's, let's pray together.